Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, we are very, have a very special guest on. As a matter of fact, uh, she has one of the hottest books in America called Dick Gregory. Uh, stay Wake and Stay Woke. Give it to me, Dr. E. Faye Williams. The, the, hey, uh, proud wake publishing. up and stay woke. Yeah, you got to wake, wake up, up and before you stay woke. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and, and you? you know, the thing about it is that you uh, and uh, you spend so much time with Dick Gregory you know, uh, in many battles. So you probably knew him as well as anyone before he got out of here, other than probably his wife and his daughter. But you spent so yeah. much time uh, in yeah, these fights know, with him. Often, um, mm-hmm. People often ask me, well, you know, there's so many things out there about Dick Gregory. What makes your book different from all the others? I said, well, he wrote some of the others, and other people researched him and wrote about him. But I live this with him that I wrote about. Yeah, and you know, I'd be remiss. I got to let people know that uh, uh, Dr. E. Faye Williams is presidency of the National Congress of Black Women Incorporated out of Washington, D.C., and she has she also hosts a radio program in D.C. She's also a national columnist, columnist with Tice Edney Wire, and you can frequently see her column in the Seattle Medium newspaper. So I want to make sure people know about that, too. And then she will also let us know later on how you can procure a copy of this book. But uh, I'm glad that you were able to pull over on route to Atlanta from D.C., Dr. Ife, to take this call, because it's very important. Before we went on the air, I'll show you about how proud I was of the sisters that stood up in Washington, D.C., getting handcuffed to accentuate uh, our need and our right to vote and what we need to do all across this country. Yes, I'll stand well, I up for there, our rights. Know, uh, I was out there, didn't take the handcuffs that time, but of course they know that I would have. I was on my way to Houston to do a book signing, and I didn't want to disappoint them. But you know, I have not just put the handcuffs on. I've gone to jail with Dick Gregory. I remember when they used to put Dick Gregory out of jail in, in Tacoma. <laughs> He'd go on a hunger strike when he was helping uh, the Indian tribes with their fishing rights stuff in the 60s. Yeah, and Mrs. Gregory spent a lot of time back here. But you know what I really want to do is shift gears and have you talk about this book and uh, just go into some more details. Because, like I said, you had a very interesting relationship in doing uh, shoulder to shoulder work with Dick Gregory, seeking justice for folks like uh, the the BP uh, disaster down on the Gulf Coast, going all the way to London, England, to their headquarters to protest their lack of action. So if you could share some of those stories, we certainly would appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, you know, I first met him in Louisiana when uh, I was running for the United States Congress. He came down with Congressman Mervyn Dimely from California. He was visiting his daughter at Louisiana State University, and he came over to one of my campaign events. And when he did, I continued to talk about my mother. My mother taught me this. My mother taught me that. And when I finished, he came up on the stage. He said, I got to talk to your mother because my children don't listen to me for anything. I think the only way that I get to talk with them is to pull my chair by the refrigerator. And that's when I get to talk with them. But I got to see how your mother does it. And then we came back to Washington where he lived already. And I had just graduated from law school. So uh, he called me one evening to come and pick him up in Baltimore. Well, that was in the middle of evening traffic. So I wasn't real happy about that. But we came back to my house, and he decided he was going to teach some of his friends and me how to make veggie burgers. And, of course, he put a lot of cheese on it, and I don't know, that might have taken away the health benefit that time. Uh, but then he wanted to show me how to wash dishes, and all of this is a surprise to his family because they didn't know he knew how to wash dishes. But it was a long story. 
And then we began uh, uh, picketing, protesting. We would find out where things were going on. We would be invited to various things. In fact, we were invited to so many protests to help people that we kept signs for everything in the trunk of our cars. We could just stop and say, what are you picketing about? And go to the trunk of our cars, get the sign out, whether it was peace, human rights, uh, food, uh, minimum wage, uh, voter registration, voter education. It didn't matter what it was. Then uh, when the British Petroleum had that explosion uh, down uh, near New Orleans, uh, people were afraid to actually file for their losses. So we took a two-week trip across the South. We went to Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, Texas, all over, showing people how they could apply to get uh, you know, reimbursed for the losses they had when all of that oil came ashore and they lost their businesses. Some of them even lost their lives. And when we couldn't get any uh, respect from the British Petroleum, which, by the way, is all over our neighborhoods, and we should remember that because they weren't very kind to the people, but uh, we w- decided to just, just go all through uh, the South and uh, teach people to file their claims at any rate. And we had an interesting time because I thought we were going to drive. Well, it turned out that we would get into a town and he would wake up and say, you want me to drive? But I was already there. I had my first experience driving with him in an SUV and stopping by alligator ponds and everything. When we couldn't get any satisfaction, we went to London, where the headquarters of British Petroleum uh, exists. And, of course, I'm a lawyer, but I didn't know the laws of London, so we picketed for a while. Uh, but then we decided we shouldn't stay too long. They wouldn't allow us in the building. They sent us back to the United States and told us who to talk with. And we continued to negotiate, and we're still negotiating some settlements and some assistance for people in their communities. Can you give uh, give our listening audience some kind of ideas of what, what kind of resolution some people received? I'm sorry, how what? Uh, how what the compensation? You said people did receive compensation from, from BP? Well, 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 mainly uh, people who own large businesses got it because they, you know, they had lawyers and they persisted and they got theirs. Others, um, there were a few things that were put into communities to help people, but very few people got, you know, individual uh, subsistence or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it just shows that large corporations can just run over poor people and not have to do anything with them because generally they don't have the money to go to court you know, as these large businesses do. But many of the large businesses did get compensated for their damages. But very few of the small people, as you would say, who had those small fish fry uh, kind of businesses along the water and uh, those who were babysitting for people who were out fishing and what have you. Uh, That's an unfortunate thing about our society. Them that's got shall get so often and the others are left behind. But we haven't given up. Uh, Art Rocker, uh, who is from Florida, and I continue to try to get uh, assistance for some of those people. And this happened way back in, uh, what, 2011, I believe. And uh, some of them are still having uh, challenges with their health and with their businesses from that time. So, you know, we just decide we, you can never give up. We just, when they say no, we say we just keep going, and that's what we've been doing. Well, I think the one thing, I'm going to mention this to a couple of members of the Russian Black Caucus, but I really think that it's time for us to not allow the black country of Haiti to be in the condition that it's in, not being that in the Western Hemisphere. And they're in that condition because when uh, Toussaint ended, uh, overthrew the French government at that time, mm-hmm. uh, the French came in with uh, all these battleships and demanded, and the United States agreed with them, 
and forced mm-hmm. Haiti to pay what would be equivalent to $21 billion in reparations because they right. lost their slaves in the textile industry. So I think it's time for that to be an international issue. And the United States and needs to be in the front of it, led by NBCW, <laughs> yes, led I by the National Congress of Black Women and the Congressional Black Caucus. There's no way we should allow that a country like that to happen. As a matter of fact... Well, France needs to put money in right now. We need to appeal to countries all around the world, including the Chinese. I don't care what anybody says. We need to build Haiti back up. It's just a shame for them to be treated that way because they're black. We know why. Well, what absolutely. The and the, the same is true for here. I serve on the National African American uh, you know, Reparations Commission, and we're still fighting to get reparations here in this country, too. But right now it is more critical for the people, as you said, of Haiti, because they've had to give up so much, uh, you know, to the French and, and to others. Many of these countries are still dominating what were once their so-called colonies. So we need to put an end to that. Uh, I've been uh, to Haiti several times. I was there actually when uh, President um, Aristide was, um, you know, had his house ransacked. Uh, unfortunately, um, I haven't been back to Haiti, but I know that conditions there were very bad simply because the French are still controlling as much as they can goods into and out of Haiti. Well, I tell you what, uh, black folks, uh, uh, and, and actually this whole uh, reparations thing can go up to all of the countries that were colonized, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all up and down, all up and down the Western Hemisphere. And Absolutely. all folks need to be going back to those uh, other countries asking for the reparations. But, uh, yes. but France needs to take the lead. The United States needs to be shoulder to shoulder because the United States helped enforce Haiti to be in a position to say, Haiti doesn't have, no, it doesn't have infrastructure because you took all their damn money, you know, yes, uh, uh, through Pan right. because, because you, uh-huh. you disrupted slavery. And, you know, you're going to yeah. disrupt the sin. You're going to pay for disrupting a sin. Now, the whole world needs to be looking at this. And I really hope that your organization, along with the Congressional Black Caucus and Wade Henderson's organization and others, the NAACP, yes. Urban League, everybody, it's just a shame for that to be uh, Ron happening. Daniels, Ron Daniels, too, uh, yes, Institute of the Black World, has been working very hard on that, I must say. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're doing what we can. We're having such a struggle in Washington because that uh, orange man still thinks he's going to be coming back into the White House next month. And I think there are a lot of Republicans who think that he's going to be coming back and being in control. But we have to fight very hard, first of all, to get uh, the John Lewis uh, Act, vo- the voting rights, rights, to get those rights returned to us that we once had. And that's why my, my program is so critical called Wake Up and Stay Woke. Sometimes we wake up to do something like we did in voting, and then, of course, some of us went back to sleep. So here we are all fighting just to have fair voting, uh, you know, there's a HR1. We got to work to get that uh, reinstated so that all these negative things like what's going on in Texas right now and many other places around the country, we have to fight to make sure we have fair voting and not allow the Republicans, because that's who's doing it, to take this away from, from us. Okay, Dr. Ife, we're out of time. Congratulations um, on your book. And, all right, uh, and give you know, me- it's on... It's on Amazon.com. It's just called Dick Gregory, Wake Up and Stay Woke. And, of course, you know how to call me if somebody has a question that uh, you can't answer. I certainly will do that, Dr. Ife. Thank you so much Thank and you. congratulations. Thank you so much. Okay. Yes. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, Eric, do we have Dr. Carl Mack on? Dr. Mack, right. how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm sure glad you're able to get with us. 
Um, yes, sir. I was I put also an email that I put out that uh, about your article, which was on the the uh, July seventh uh, edition of the Seattle Medium newspaper front page article. Because I didn't have you know I don't that way people can go and read the article in its entirety because it does uh, give a little historical background as well. But uh, as, as you know, I'm, I've been working almost in the same arena as you, but uh, you got folks' attention already. So uh, why don't you share with our listeners? Uh, about, uh, I mean, I, we've had your Black History calendars forever and a day, and now you're going to go and make sure they get digitized with uh, <laughs> uh, with Google. So, uh, and you have a, 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 a partnership with Google uh, for them to use uh, your Black History calendar. So why don't you go ahead and share with our listeners exactly how this came about and uh, let them know what they need to do to support it. All right, so Eddie, I'm actually going through just a little area that may cut me out, but but that area is going to be breezy. So in case I cut out, I'll I'll get right back on it. Well, I asked, I, you um, know what? I, I asked uh, uh, Eric in the studio. I said just in case he cut out, have his homeboy, Congressman Benny Thompson, on hold for us. But go, but go ahead. This is <laughs> this is, we had him on two weeks ago talking about the hearing tomorrow. But go right ahead, brother. Oh, good. Well, if I didn't cut out then, I think I'm, I'm past the danger spot. But anyway, listen, Eddie, you and I go, God, we go back a ways, man. And I've been such an admirer of your, your body of work and, uh, in our community. And, and it's just an honor. And again, had the pleasure of, of working with your wonderful daughter, Angela, when she was at Holy Names. And so, man, your body of work is, is beyond respectable. So it's just a great job. And I'm, I'm honored to hook up with you again but in regards to um and to the calendar um you know I, I first started doing this back in 1992 um and the idea actually came to me in 1990 the first calendar came out in, in in 92 but the reason it came out and i was an engineer at metro and i worked with this white guy who's an engineer named henry cody and cody would come to work often and he would talk about different people out of black history so one day he came in and he was talking to me about this guy named henry o'flipper and o'flipper was the first black to graduate from the west point military academy and henry is a beautiful brother but i had no idea who cody was talking about and cody was looking at me like i absolutely knew who he was talking about and so i felt embarrassed and ashamed that this white man knew far more about my culture and history than i did and so one day guy put it in, in my head you know carl you got this word of the day calendar. What if we, you could make a black history calendar featuring a person for every day of the year? So my first calendar, um, I published it in 1992. And so this is the fourth edition. But unlike any of the other calendars, on this edition, every day is significant to that person that's on that day. So, for instance, today... On July 22nd, 1939, James Matilda Bolden from New York, Mayor LaGuardia appointed her to a judgeship, which made her the first black woman judge in United States history. And that was 1939. And in 1931, she was the first black woman to graduate from the Yale School of Law. So every day, Somebody is featured out of black history, and they're significant to that day. So when I did the calendar, one of my former students works at the Google. He works with Google. So I just sent him a copy of the calendar just so he could take a look at it. And unbeknownst to me, Google was looking for something where they can have every day something out of black history. 
but they wanted it specific to that day. So when they saw my calendar, this sister from Australia, who's, who's a part of the Google team, she gave me a call and she said, look, we would love to license the content of your calendar because we've been looking everywhere and we can't find anything in which every day there's something specific to that person in black history. So we set up a licensing agreement. And so right now, if you have an iPhone, you can download the Google Assistant app. If you have the Android phone, I think the Google Assistant app is preloaded on your phone. But if you go to your Google Assistant app on your phone, or if you got the home device. So Google actually sent me a, a home device. So every morning I walk downstairs, and as I'm getting my coffee, I say, hey, Google, what happened on this day in black history? And the Google Assistant, you know, at that point begins to read to me what happened on that day in black history. And at the end of it, they'll say, adapted from Black Heritage Day 4 by author, civil rights activist, Dr. Carl Mack. So the first time my sons heard it, they were like, Dad, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, no, that's all over the world. Somebody could hear that now, which is pretty amazing. So that's the short answer. <laughs> And but uh, very timely too, very very timely. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, and so, you know, you know, the other part that they're talking to me about now, Eddie, is um, so as I'm talking to the sister from Australia, she goes, you know, with Dr. Mack, you have a very unique voice. So, would you consider entering a contractual agreement where you would actually read the snippet for the Black History feature of the day? I said, absolutely, if you think that'll work. So right now I'm talking to Google, and hopefully if all goes well, when you ask Google what happened on this day in black history, you'll hear my voice instead of that of the Google Assistant, which would be kind of cool. I think it'd be real cool. <laughs> real deserving, <laughs> yeah. too. Right on. That's, I mean, that's great. Yeah. So, so the uh, hopefully, part, uh, yeah. hopefully we can get um, uh, have Alexa saying the same thing, right? I know it. I love to. Alexa give you Shirley Chisholm every day. I, every day, every day. So, you know, the other thing, you know, so I almost had the, the big two. So I had Google to come in. And so there was the president of the Smithsonian saw my calendar. And she actually called me. I sent her copies of the calendar. And we were very close to doing a deal. Um, and we were going to rebrand the calendar. Instead of it just being Black Heritage Day, it would be Black Heritage Day and the Smithsonian. So they were very, very impressed with the calendar. Um, hadn't seen anything like it. And, and I think most people who have seen Black Heritage Day um, calendars, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine all of that information inside of a calendar. But unfortunately, because of the pandemic, things kind of fell apart and that deal didn't go through. But I, you know, there's always next year, right? But the other thing is, I just finished a Black Heritage Day 5 calendar, and it'll be the last one that I plan to do. And this one, Eddie, I think you'll be real impressed with, because this one, so when I finished Black Heritage Day 4, I was just a little disappointed that I didn't have an equal mixture of black men to black women. And so I decided, okay, Carl, let's do it. One last calendar, except Black Heritage Day 5 is 366 days, all black women. So that's the one that I just finished. Uh, that, that'll be a good note. When are you going to release that one? <laughs> that I don't know yet. 
Literally, okay. it's just sitting there on my computer, and I, I just uh, I hadn't well, done anything with it. Uh, well, a couple of months earlier, it could have been a Mother's Day release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I just got to put the pieces to it. Um, but but literally, the entire write-up is done. And, and literally, I think I got every, every one, 365 women are on days significant in their life. There was one day that I could not find. And so this sister in Seattle by the name of Vicki White, I think you may remember Vicki White. She was my secretary when I was with the NAACP. Right, right. So I, do, Vicky, I do remember so, Yeah, so Vicki said, hey, Carl, don't worry about it. Why don't we just make that particular day every woman's day? So I'm going to probably do some write-up or have Vicki to do a write-up where we just write something generic about women, right? But every other woman that's in the calendar is on a day significant in their life. Um, and, and I thought, I thought the, the contributions of black men were incredible, but man, when you read about these sisters and their body of work, it is just, I mean, there were a couple of pages that literally, it just left me in tears to read about the, the courage and, and wherewithal of these sisters is just absolutely amazing. And I'm going to remind everybody, you can go to the CL Medium's website, July 7th uh, edition of the CL Medium has Dr. Carl Mack and his uh, agreement with Google, uh, use a Google Assistant for the Black History Calendar. His Black History Calendar is on that very extensive article, very well done. So how can people go about uh, getting additional information? I just gave them uh, how they can get the news article, but yeah. I was just trying to figure out, and how can, how can, uh, your your homies support you and your endeavor. Well, thank you so much, Eddie. Because you have a whole bunch of folks that like I can think about that group of holy names when they weren't gonna allow them to have a black student union, and uh, <laughs> Angela came and we came and got you, and they had a black student union. So you got a whole posse at Leonetta Espy and uh, Catherine Bush Felton these days. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, she's married to the uh, president of Wiley College, Herman Felton. Correct. Yeah. So anyway, you got a, you got a whole posse of folks like that that's out here. So, and, and speaking of Wiley College, for those who may not know, um, Michael Tolson is from Wiley College, and I think that's his first name, if, but a certain last name Tolson. And if that name doesn't ring a bell to you, just relate that name to Denzel Washington. And if that doesn't ring a bell to you, this is the guy who started the group, the Great Debaters. So the movie The Great Debaters is about uh, Robert Tolson, and he was at Wiley College when he put together the debate team that ended up being an all-black debate team that won the national uh, championship. And, yes, he's featured in Black Heritage Day 4, so he's in the calendar, yeah. But anyway. Um, well, Wiley, Wiley is, uh, was close to Streetport. It was right across the river. It was uh, in, uh, was it in uh, Marshall, Texas? Um. God, I gotta remember. I know, I know, it's close by because we had relatives that went over there. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah we we just about out of time, Doctor Carl Mack. I'd like to have you make any comments you'd like to have making closing, including uh, steering people on how they can support uh, this calendar being used by everybody with your yeah, voice so, behind it. Great. So, listen, if if you want to get a, per, a copy of the calendar, uh, you can go to my website and it's Black Heritage Days with an S dot com. All one word, Black Heritage Days with an S dot com. The cost of the calendar is nineteen ninety nine. It's free shipping. Um, 
I needed the calendar to be incredibly affordable, and it is a money-back guarantee. So I guarantee you, when you get the calendar, if you don't like it, you don't have to send it back. Just tell me you don't like it, and I'm going to refund your money. It's that simple. But I think you'll well, absolutely I, love it. <laughs> I think, I think number one, is I think that the churches, the sororities, fraternities, the breakfast group, uh, the esquires, I think they need to be buying them in bulk and sharing them with people that can't afford them and also with young people so they can start okay. learning about their history right away. So I yep. think it's a, it's a valuable tool and it's a good investment for these organizations to do things in the community. So uh, okay. I'll see about that myself, sir, to help do some marketing. You know, Eddie, and the other thing I'll say to people is, you know, when I was doing this calendar, it was as up-to-date of current events as you, as you apply. So, for instance, in the calendar on May 25th, you're going to find um, George Floyd. George Floyd. Um, on August 11th, uh, you're going to find President Harris, Vice President Harris, Kamala Harris, right? Because that was the day that Joe Biden nominated her as his running mate. Um, the death of John John Lewis. You know, so as things were happening in this country of of a major historic nature. I was literally finding a way to include them on that day in black history. So in the case of George Floyd, actually on that day, I had Jesse Owens because Jesse Owens had the greatest day in sports at the big. Okay, Dr. Mack, we're out of time, brother. You know me and you can go on forever. But I got I I got Dr. Jeffrey standing pat uh, trying to get some land repatriated that the city took doing urban renewal of black removal. So I'm on that battlefield, too. Thank you very much, Dr. Mack. We're going to stay in touch. A pleasure. And James Kelly wanted me to say hello to you. All right. Tell James I said hello. I will do it. Okay, no. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Reverend Robert L. Jeffrey Sr., New Hope, Black Dollar Days Task Force, Queen Greens Farm and Market, and New Hope Housing Development Corporation. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. 
just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, hey, right back at Urban Forum Northwest with my next guest. And he is a distinguished gentleman, a great leader. And if you look at the front page of the Seattle Times this morning, you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Reverend Robin L. Jeffrey Sr., uh, senior pastor of New Hope Missionary Baptist Church, founder of the Black Dollar Days Task Force, founder of the Clean Gleams Farm and Market, and the New House, New Hope Housing Development Corporation. I believe I have that right, sir. But anyway, uh, we have, uh, the community is supporting his efforts to uh, have the city repatriate some land that was taken uh, during what they call urban renewal. I call it black removal, the one of the most successful programs ever, which displaced black people out the central area. So Reverend Jeffrey, congratulations on your stamina, on your fight. And brother, I have your back because you're doing it for the right reason to help a lot of people who are in need. So why don't you give our listeners an update on exactly where we are today? Okay, where we are today is that um, we will get uh, um, a recommendation or um, a a resolution before the council sometime in August to uh, resolve this issue. Hopefully, Hopefully it will be resolved. Uh, um, but w- what we're doing is by by demanding that they return this land, we're quantifying um, the whole issue of uh, of black removal and black land taking, and and I think that we have to uh, begin to quantify this in our community. I mean, what what actually has this cost us in terms of? Uh, uh, our brain trusts, our, our resources, and those kinds of things. And so in this small instance, we believe that we need to quantify the cost of them uh, taking this land, not just from New Hope, but from the people on that block and in that, in that, in that block, in that area. So we have and to rally coming up uh, this Saturday. Oh, go right ahead, Doctor. Sorry, go right ahead. We have a rally coming up this Saturday at 12 o'clock. Uh, and that rally is to sort of articulate the issues of reparations and articulate the need for us to begin to quantify and begin to make a real concerted effort to talk about what what the real cost is in terms of the, the, what the, the process of land removal that has just taken place in the central area. Now, uh, Reverend Jeffrey, for the people that don't know, why don't you go back, if they haven't read the article today, which is in the Times, and let people know what happened. Uh, what happened was during, uh, I, you know, they said urban renewal. I call it black black removal from day one. But just take our listeners back to let them know how the city even t- were able to take the land from New Hope Baptist Church. Well, in 1961, in 1961, the city uh, began an urban renewal process in the central area. And um, in that process, they began to... Um, create uh, committees um, to uh, design that process. And uh, the committees that take the conclusions of those uh, committees were that African-Americans had to be removed. And they defined African-Americans as ignorant, as the colored people, and as the people uh, who were mostly criminals and and mostly uh, uneducated and uh, and that they, they said that they should put them in a ghetto, 
remove them and place them in ghettos. And um, that process began in 1961. 69 was the time when they came and took the church from New Hope Baptist, took the land from New Hope Baptist Church. But it was a part of that whole process of black removal. So they didn't have any sense of respect for the church because they figured blacks wouldn't go be here anyway. And so they began to seize land all over the city. There was uh, like 400 uh, housing units that were uh, where they had people uh, yeah. relocate. So, yeah, they took, yeah. Yeah. In, in that within that period of time. And that's, mm-hmm. that's not even dealing with what subsequently happened uh, doing weed and seed. I mean, then, of course, as it evolved forward, they begin to take other homes. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's really um, an operation that, um, that I, you know, they begin to say that some of the black leaders supported urban renewal, urban renewal, and, and they may have, but I don't think that African-American leadership at that time supported urban renewal, racist urban renewal, racist removal of black people. And uh, I think that they just weren't paying close enough attention at the language that was put in these documents, language that um, targeted African-Americans specifically and targeted them in very uh, derogatory and negative state terms, like calling them the, 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 the undeserving poor. I mean, mm-hmm. where does that come from? Who would say something like that? But this is the kind of language in those documents. Yes, and then uh, in the, the 73, as I mentioned at the press conference on Wednesday, in 1973, I chaired the Central Seattle Community Council Housing Federation's uh, the Housing Committee, and we released the first report on redlining of the central area and took all kinds of actions, and you would think that, you know, would have got somebody's attention. Uh, you know, we had uh, uh, late Reverend Gil Lloyd, uh, Reverend McKinney, uh, Reverend Cecil Chip Murray, and a lot of others. Uh, the sister that was chair of the Federation of Bernice Moreland, and painting red lines around the the, uh, the boundaries of the central area. And then in 1976, we painted a red line in front of the black box down at Seafirst. And so it got to the point where Secretary Gerald Ford sent the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development out here, Carla Hills, in 1976, to hear our concerns. But it, things went right along as they had been planned. And so well, I'm so glad that that you're championing this whole effort because what you're doing is it cause a lot of people to start talking to their parents, their grandparents, to talk yeah. about what happened to them and what happened to their property. And we well, might find they, a lot of... They hid these documents deep in their archives. I mean, the, 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 the evidence of their racist uh, uh, conspiracy was hidden deep into the archives downtown. And they felt like, as long as you didn't have evidence that this was racially motivated, that what they were doing was racist, they, they could continue to do it on the basis of what they call capitalism and what they call um, the market. And, and so they, they used the market driving this as their defense. This is market-driven. This is not racist. This is market-driven. But when you look at the language, this is this is this is primarily racially driven, and and you know we were talking at the news conference about the whole thing of eminent domain, and they're trying to say well we're against eminent domain. No, what we are against is 
is, is weaponizing eminent domain, racially weaponizing it, so that you can come in and destroy a race, a whole group of people. You know, and I think as long as the motives are correct, that's fine. But you racially weaponize the whole concept of eminent domain as it relates to the central area. And so everything you do is suspect. Everything you have done since you racially uh, 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 weaponized it is suspect. And, and that's what we have to uh, uh, fall back on. And I think as long as they couldn't, as long as they could get away with saying it wasn't racial, they were fine. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just trying to figure out, in, in terms of people in the community uh, that look for, that seek justice, no matter who you are, if you seek justice, what can they do to support the church's efforts to regain the property? And you said you could build, I'm put several units on that property, affordable well, we housing? We 87, 87 uh, 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 units of apartment buildings. We built apartment building with 87 units in it. And uh, we're going to build that uh, uh, regardless. We're going to do that. But, you know, we need that land. We need the land or we, uh, or we need reparations for the land. So uh, what they can do to help is come out to the rally on the 24th at 12 o'clock. We have a rally in the park on the 24th at 12 o'clock. And we need people there. We need, we need people who care about these issues. And this is not just about New Hope, even though it is about New Hope. It's not just about New Hope. It is about exposing the racial origins, the racist origins of the removal of black people from the central area. And with documentation, with documentation, their own words. Hmm. Reverend Jeffrey, what is the location of the park once again? It's located on the corner of 3rd and 21st Avenue. They don't have an address there. but I know. I'm just saying I just want to make sure people... It's adjacent to, to it's adjacent right to the church itself. Yeah. Okay, well, Reverend Jeffrey, you keep up the good work, and I'm supporting no, you all the way. Thank you, man. And hopefully, other folks will step up. You're gonna speak, right? You're gonna speak there, right? That, what's that, sir? You're gonna speak at the rally, right? Oh, uh, whatever you require from me, I'll definitely yeah, be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they need to hear what you just said about the redlining thing. Okay, sir, I will do it. Okay, thanks, Daddy. Okay, thank you. Okay. Okay, uh, Eric, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. 
Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Talk radio that will get you thinking. Alternative Talk, 1150. Eddie Ryback at Urban Forum Northwest. I want to give a shout out to our supporters. And that would be the City of Seattle's Purchasing Construction Services Office with Liz Alzier and Company. The Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice Sound Transit. With my next guest, John T. Robinson, who is uh, the uh, Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. And that is also in the Office of Labor with uh, my friend Leslie Jones. And John T., uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And why don't you just take a minute or so and give our listeners a little bit about a little historical overview of John T. Robinson's background. Well, thank you, Mr. Rye. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, it definitely is a privilege uh, to be here today. And so a little bit about John Tay. I am uh, from a small town called Salisbury that's located on the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, you know, while, when I was in high school, I made a decision that I was going to serve the country and join the United States Army, um, which is how I ended up getting to this beautiful state of Washington. Um, being in the Army as a Black woman opened my eyes to a lot of things, which is why I made a decision to spend my life um, opening doors for those who are underrepresented, um, advocating for uh, minorities and women, um, because some of the things that I saw and experienced were, um, it was just, it was very uh, challenging and interesting. Um, after my time in the Army, I worked for the state of Washington at the Washington State Department of Personnel, where I actually had an opportunity to work with the team from the governor's office to develop a leadership program to help human resource leaders identify discrimination and harassment in the workplace. Um, and from there, I landed at the Washington State Department of Transportation, um, where I worked with their affirmative action program, um, oversaw their Title VI program, which consisted of over 275 subrecipients and really ensuring that um, the subrecipients were, were building out projects in a way that was equitable. Um, and from there, I landed here at Sound Transit, where I had the opportunity to work with Leslie Jones for a couple of years um, in the DBE Small Business Program. And now here I am as the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. And why don't you share with our listeners uh, some of your responsibilities? Because you have, you are the, the the chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. So yes. is that three different categories? How does <laughs> how do you how do you separate those? And what are the objectives? And what are the goals yeah. that you've set? 
So the vision for, so the office that I oversee is the Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion. Um, and, I, and the vision that I have is, you know, uh, to create a place um, where all Sound Transit employees, our passengers and community feel welcomed and are connected to what they need and have equitable access to opportunities, programs, and services. And so when I look at the diversity aspect of, of my role and position, um, of course, we know that diversity deals with representation, um, ensuring that you know there's, there's different people in the workplace and that we can celebrate those differences. Um, equity, you know, is looking at our processes, our policies, our procedures, and ensuring that there is a level playing field um, so that everybody has access to uh, job opportunities, programs, and services. And then inclusion deals with belonging and making sure that people feel safe to bring their whole selves to work. The way that I accomplish this, Mr. Rye, is through uh, four different programs. Um, so that's our economic development program, which really deals with eliminating barriers and creating opportunities um, for underrepresented business owners um, and ensuring that the businesses that are building our transit system represent the communities that we serve. Um, as you know, Sound Transit has the largest capital project uh, program in the nation. And I think that it's very critical that the individuals who are um, getting contracts with us represent our community and that it's done in an equitable manner. The second program that I oversee is inclusive culture, um, which deals with our employees and ensuring um, that we are embracing and celebrating um, individual and cultural differences and that employees are receiving opportunities regardless of their race or gender, um, ability, et cetera, in the workplace. Um, and Eddie, I feel like you want to ask me a question. And so uh, I'm going to stop there. No, 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 no. Just keep going right oh, ahead. Okay, okay, I mean, okay. this is for the sake of my listeners. I want them to get yeah. as much detail from you as possible. Okay. So they have a better insight as to what's going on in your office and at Sound Transit, because you're in a position that a lot of people I know that, that want to make sure that we're counting yes. in that in those in those goals that you guys Absolutely, talk about. Absolutely, yes. And so um, the third program that I oversee is equity and social responsibility. And that that program focuses on creating equitable access to opportunities, programs, and services. And so that's really focused on our community, our ridership, um, and ensuring that folks have access to our system to ensure um, that we are engaging community as we are building projects and making sure that they have a voice and a seat at the table as it relates to our decision-making um, and things that are impacting them. And then we also, um, under my leadership, are really bringing some focus into social responsibility. Um, and that's gonna be done through our workplace giving campaigns, sponsorships and volunteering. And so really just making sure that Sound Transit has a presence in the community that we are that we are serving. And then the last um, thing that I oversee is compliance and monitoring, which deals with all of our civil rights program. Um, I oversee our Equal Employment Opportunity Program, um, our Title VI program, as well as our Disadvantaged Business um, Enterprise Program, which are all federal uh, compliance programs. Let our listeners know, <clears throat> what is a Title VI? What does that mean and who does it affect? 
Yes. So Title VI is a part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And Title VI states that um, no person um, should be discriminated against based on race, color, or national origin um, as it relates to programs and services. And so how that applies to sound transit, um, and it manifests in many different ways. But for example, uh, fair enforcement, which I know was a hot topic um, for some time, um, we should not be allowing our fair enforcement officers um, to target uh, Black people <laughs> who are riding our transit system and ask for fair. Um, if that is happening, that is a violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of, of 1964, um, preventing someone from riding a bus um, because of how they look, the color of their skin, their accent. Um, that is a violation of Title VI. And you also mentioned the significance when you receive federal money, there are different yeah. requirements yes. uh, for the utilization of uh, minorities. Yes. The problem we find out is that uh, we're not uh, the, the first uh, person or group to be selected. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, after 45 years of uh, the DBE program and being under a prime contractor's foot, I can't think of very many blacks that prospered under that arrangement because they were not getting their money directly. Yeah. Have you guys ever considered uh, paying uh, or breaking the contract? You have engineers to break the contracts down to fit uh, the, the capacity of the smaller, especially I'll speak for firms owned by African descendants of the United States enslaved, the ones that's been here 400 years. Because mm -hmm. uh, I'm asking also members of Congress to see if we get a federal designation to ensure we participate in the country that we helped build. And we are the most, and you serve in the military, we're the most patriotic group in this country. Uh, have nobody came back from several wars of discrimination and racism and still nail the flag up. So uh, some people say, oh, you want something for nothing. No, we just want to return on our 400-year investment, right. 254 years for free. So I, I am not embarrassed at all to ask for a federal designation for African descendants. And I think the same thing is going to be happening in the uh, to Western and, and Central America and everywhere else where black people uh, talking to the countries that colonized them like Haiti. I mean, you know, to have Haiti pay that much money is just ridiculous. But anyway, I got off off topic. Yeah, no, but that's I okay. Because I, uh, uh, I just want to, the position you're in, I'd like to at least have you on at least quarterly. Yes. Or if there's any kind of big thing going on in Sound Transit, you, you have, this is a, a format that you can use for that purpose. And so that's why I'm on there to make sure that folks that listen to this program about our people, African descendants of the United States enslaved, and our, our friends, uh, they hear directly from us. Well, Jante, is there anything you'd like to say before we uh, part to Congressman Benny Thompson for that hearing coming up tomorrow uh, that he's chairing yeah. on the January 6th incursion? Insurrection. Yes, I actually have one thing that I want to say uh, to our listeners. So um, one of the things that Sound Transit is doing um, as we are welcoming back our ridership um, is we want to ensure that um, everybody has access to vaccinations. And so on July the 30th, we will be hosting a vaccination site at Union Station in Seattle from 1030 to 6 p.m., which will be open to the public. I will be there. Um, and so I'm inviting you all, if you need to be vaccinated, to come out um, and be vaccinated. Thank you very much, John T. Robinson. 
that is much needed with the, uh, this new Delta variant that's kicking people's mind. Yes. So I got mine too. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Rye. You have a okay. wonderful day. Okay. As everybody knows, the January 6th uh, hearing on the uh, insurrection, the attempt to overthrow the United States government, that hearing is supposed to start tomorrow. Chairman Benny Thompson is going to be uh, chairing that committee. And Eric has pulled up some comments from Congressman Thompson's interview with me from two weeks ago talking about that hearing. Thank you, Eric. Congressman Benny Thompson, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're on the road. And uh, I'd just like to have you just give our folks an update. I guess the most important thing happening right now is the fact if they're going to be a bipartisan commission or is this going to be Liz Cheney and the D's that's going to be seeking the truth on what happened on January 6th. So how are you and welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. Well, thank you very much, Brother Ryan. I'm happy to be on your program. I wish I could be uh, stationary, but when you got a district uh, the size of mine, you got to stay on the move. So uh, as you know, uh, Congress passed H.R. 503 which is a resolution that created, excuse me, the, the 111, 116 uh, commission. That commission, Brother Rye, uh, uh, created uh, an eight-member, uh, five-member uh, Republican commission to look at what happened on 1-6. Uh, the challenge for us is we have to do something in America. Uh, you can't let thugs uh, take over uh, government just because their candidate lost. And so even though we had negotiated a deal where uh, there would be five Republicans, five Democrats, uh, we'd share subpoena power, everything the Republicans said they wanted. At the end of uh, uh, the negotiation, uh, McCarty said, Carter said uh, he was against it. So we can only get 35 Republicans. And now, uh, six weeks later, uh, the House approved H.R. 503, which will, uh, as a scope uh, of direction, our job will be to look at the circumstances and the facts uh, that allowed January 6th to occur. Now, Brother Wyatt, there are all kinds of rumors and innuendos out there, but this commission is going to go as low and as high as it needs to to get to the bottom of not just what happened, but what we need to do to make sure that it never happens again. 